This is the What Now Podcast. We are meant for something so much more, so much better than the here and the now. It's just, you're only here once, and I hope you just see your seasons through. Allow God to be God to take you somewhere better because life, even during the times you feel like you don't belong, where you feel like you can't anymore, can be beautiful, intimate, one-on-one moments with the creator of the universe. And life, life it is beautiful, it is blossoming, and it is vibrant, and it's here just, just for you. This is the What Now Podcast, where we discuss cultural topics related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way, in an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me today as I speak with Al Carraway, otherwise widely known as the Tattooed Mormon, where she shares how she got past the judgment and exclusion she faced as a recent convert when many members could only focus on her visible past instead of on what she was becoming. Al shares how she embraced positivity despite the fiery darts of judgment that were thrown at her and how her connection with God carried her through. Al has used her faith and innate positivity to move forward with transparency to help all members embrace their self-worth despite their history and appearance so they will know that there is a place for them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, today I am here with Al Carraway. I'm so happy to have you with us. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. So I like to start just by asking you to share a little bit about where you grew up and a little bit about yourself so listeners can get to know you. I am originally from upstate New York. I'm as far north as you can be right on the beach without going into, well, Canada. So we have like two and a half feet of snow. We have terrible weather during the winter. So yeah, I grew up here. And then when I was 21, I drove across the country and I went west with just my dog and did a life on the west up until recently. We just barely moved back to New York. And by we, I have a husband and now we have three kids two dogs. And what I do is I write books. I got four books out. Well, three and a half books out. And I public speak. I travel all over the country and a lot of the times out of the country. And I talk about God because he's just my favorite. Well, that's a good favorite to have because God's a good, powerful force in our lives. So I just wanted to start off, let's jump in, and I just want to understand what led you to embrace the gospel. You're from upstate New York. There probably aren't a ton of members there. How did you find the church? Well, so when you hear people knocking on doors, where I'm from, it's Jehovah Witness that do that. I have never once heard or met anyone that belonged to the LDS church. It was so completely foreign until I was 20 years old. Missionaries were just walking by my porch. Uh, I was living on my own, already graduated college at that time. And of course, they came up to me and talked, but I was on this mission. I am the most independent, stubborn New Yorker, like typical stubborn New Yorker. <laughs> the stereotype? <laughs> yeah, yes, I am. I am the New Yorker stereotype. And I just, I don't need help from anyone or anything. And don't even try to tell me how <laughs> I need to live my life. Like, this is. Me. I was nice about it, but like that's my mindset. And so I was actually out to prove them wrong. And so I was going to try and do what they were teaching me and allow myself to do it long enough to allow contrast to happen if it were to happen, just so I could prove them wrong. And the thing about effort is 
any effort we put in, we'll get something back. In this regard, it was God just blessing me to show me, I don't know, it was just so subtle at first that I, I didn't even recognize it for a few weeks. I didn't even recognize that I was changing until it snuck up on me. But I just, I mean, in hindsight, I loved how I felt around them. I always recognized that. And that was enough to just, between stubbornness and these subtle feelings I felt is what kept me going. So they discovered you kind of on your porch and then they're talking to you. And then would they kind of follow up and say, okay, well, let's talk again. And then you'd figure out your questions to try to prove them wrong. And then you realized you were getting closer and closer to God and feeling like maybe this was a fit for you. It was so interesting because, yeah, I happily said, yep, you can come back. Yeah, you can call me. And I never had a formal, ever a formal lesson. They never said, here's what we're going to talk about today. It was like, come over north. What do you got for us? And I said, listen. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it was so weird because they thought that like, I'm a lost cause. There was nothing golden about me. And like I said, I didn't recognize any change in me until it was too late. I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I shot out of bed and I called them at three in the morning. And I don't know why I was calling them, but as soon as they answered, I just blurted out, I want to get baptized. And I'm like, what did I just say? I didn't know. I didn't know I wanted to do that. But you know, when I said it I'm like oh my gosh you just have this feeling like oh oh, I got it I gotta do it (laughs) yeah this is happening okay it's out there (laughs) and then did you get baptized quickly after that yeah I mean it felt like a lifetime because there was so much change that needed to happen I mean asking someone to get baptized is the most intimate thing we could ever ask anyone because it is 21 years for me of habits and tradition and this deep within your entire being. And so it's not even what I did needed to change, but it was even just like my mindset needed to be different. And so to me, it felt like a lifetime to do this huge shift, even just my thinking that shift. But in reality, it was like two months total meeting them getting dunked. Wow. So how did you transition? So you're living a pretty different lifestyle at that time. And the church culture is very different. How did you transition between those two worlds? I just really feel like my soul just took over. I feel like I was just being brought and I was there along for the ride because I hated church. I hated going there. And I said I would never go back. And yet every Sunday, I'm like, how did I end up back in this dang pew? Why am I here? How did this happen? (laughs) And so it was every change that needed to happen. I just felt like, wait, what? I caught myself doing it, thinking like, what am I doing? What is happening to me? (laughs) So you were clearly drawn, but maybe the spirit you felt at church or something that was drawing you there. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I mean, I was doing what I called the worst God has ever seen kind of efforts. I was not great at them. My prayers, I don't know what I was saying. Talking out loud to this supposed God, it was the most awkward thing I'd ever done. It's in what am I reading in scriptures? I don't know. It made no sense to me. But these awkward, terrible efforts, I mean, it is how the blessings came. Any, any effort is how they come. So did you feel this kind of 
something taking over within you, like your soul, your spirit was being drawn to something that was pure and good. And you could feel that maybe more than the knowledge and all the detailed information. It was more of a feeling for you. A hundred percent. Yes. I went and I remember writing this in a letter I wrote to the mission president at my baptism. And I said, I was just chasing happiness. And I was not looking for a religion to join. I was not looking for this void to be filled. I was not looking for my life to change. I thought I had it figured out. And I thought people turned to religion as some sort of mental comfort when they were struggling with something. And that wasn't me. But And I was just chasing happiness, which is kind of what I felt like I was already doing in my life. But so continuing the pattern of that it brought me to, I mean, even where I'm sitting right now. Mm -hmm. So you end up joining the church. And then how did you push past the challenges that faced you after your baptism? I mean, in your book, you were talking about how your family and your coworkers were really not supportive of your decision. Oh, they left all of them. A hundred percent of my friends gone, just like that. And how bizarre it was, how quick and, and fast that they did that. I mean, friends I grew up with my whole life, like just gone. And my family, obviously, they so many different feelings, I think, is what was hiding under their actions. They were so scared. They were mad. They were confused. And what we have heard about that church here, I mean, my dad thought someone, if you meet the missionaries and you don't get baptized, someone's going to come slit your throat. And it's funny to us because it's like the most unrealistic thing. but. He really believed that. And so they said, it's us or that church you just found out about. And being the stubborn person that I am, I'm like, it would not be right if I did not see this through. It wouldn't be right. And so I didn't hear from my dad for years. And so I, and I don't have a support system. I don't have any friends that are members and I'm not around people I go to church with during the week. People drove up an hour and a half to, and we're in a singles branch. <laughs> like we're so tiny in numbers. I'm not seeing anyone during the week. It's just me and this supposed God that like maybe I kind of am learning about. And it's just, yeah, like you have your family who you have known your entire life here. And could you leave them over this God you just found out about? I so guess. that's pretty isolating. I mean, how did you push through that? I mean, that isolates you. Well, actually, this is the greatest tool I could have ever learned for myself. What my life would be like if I didn't have this tool and resource, I don't know, because having it only between me and God, and that's it, like literally it. I mean, oh my gosh, the challenges that would even come now this past year are tenfold harder than giving up my family. And could I have done it and handled it in the way that I did had I not established right off the bat an intimate relationship with a God that I have learned to trust regardless of the unwanted and the uncharted and the longer than anticipated paths? Well, that gives you an opportunity to totally seal that relationship with God. Yeah, we problem solved. We, <laughs> the thing I had to do was him. I said, okay, I learned the tool of honest and specific prayer with him. 
I learned that I can tell him anything, even when I'm mad at him. I talk to him all the time, sometimes more times than when I'm angry with him. But that to me is how real progress and understanding come. Yelling at him, wondering what, why, how much longer. Well, yeah, it's interesting because after your baptism was part of the reason you wanted to go to Utah so you had more people to connect with. You had a community of faith there. Was that part of the reason you wanted to go? What prompted you to do that? No, I didn't want to go. (laughs) That was the last thing I wanted to do. (laughs) Now, I wanted to at that point in my life because I was alone. I thought the only thing I could do was leave and serve a mission. That was the only knowledge and option that I could come up with for me. And my answer to serving a mission was move to the West, go to Utah specifically. And I honestly, truly had no idea about Utah. I didn't know. I forgot it was a state until I even heard that as my response and ignorantly had no idea that it was this hub of where the church is, whatever, went against my will, but of course, following God's and and the funny thing is, is regardless of me not wanting to do it, I mean, I was leaving behind the only way of living that I know of. I was leaving behind my family, having to cope with the idea that I could maybe never see my dad ever again. But there was a part of me thinking, well, because God wants me to do it, this is where things will get better, right? This is where things will get easier and start to come together and make a little bit more sense because things are are hard. I didn't know loneliness and hardship until I got baptized. So I saw Utah eventually as my silver lining. And so I get there and I'm like, okay, I'm following it. I'm doing it. Look at me in action, sacrificing. Like, this is it. This is where... God's really going to like magnify everything. And it was the polar opposite. And they had just gone 10 times worse as soon as I got there. Now, how was it polar opposite? The culture in Utah, the members in Utah, what was it that was just so foreign to you? Oh, it was all foreign. Everything was foreign to me. Everything. I think I just had it in my mind that God would have it be different. Like things wouldn't be hard. We get in this really just toxic mindset that if God wants you to do something, it'll be easy. And that has rarely been the case for me. But yeah, I and got look there. At Joseph Smith. Gee whiz. Poor Joseph Smith went into a grove of trees and look what he went through. He didn't ask for any of that. You know what I mean? But it's just, it came. It's just part of it all. (laughs) But you had a bit of a refiner's fire. I mean, when you were describing what you went through in Utah, it was pretty harsh. My whole life since baptism. Like I said, I mean, I talk about what happens right when I got baptized, but really it's just this pattern that my entire life seems to follow in this pattern of Joseph in the Old Testament, like going from bad to worse to even worse. And so, yeah, I get there and I thought like our branch and church really in general, where I'm from, it is a literal family. And I was elated at the idea that I could have an actual brother and sister in my community because that's how it was in New York at Sunday. It was family. We were people's family because people didn't have their families there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this loneliness, it's, it's going to go away. 
I'm going to have this support system. I'm going to have this family. The idea of just almost everyone being there. I know that's a dangerous thought and it's inaccurate of Utah. But at the time, I'm like, almost everyone there, comparably to the people and the numbers in New York, like, oh my gosh, I could have anyone. So that's interesting because you go to Utah where there's so many more members of the church. So you think there's going to be this brother and sisterhood magnified like a hundred times better than what you had in New York. And why was it different? It never crossed anyone's mind being completely covered in tattoos. It was never on someone's mind looking at me that one, I was not raised in the church. <laughs> Two, I'm not from here. Three, doesn't even really matter any of those. But now if you get a lot of members and they're told their whole lives that they shouldn't do something and you shouldn't look a certain way, then when you glance at me, it's almost like they know what I know and they actively went against it. And just one glance at me and they almost took me personal because just in an instant, just by looking at me, they would think she does not love my God, the God that I love. It was a personal matter. They think that I do not like or follow, but I'm actively choosing against a God that they love. So it wasn't even a, mm, that's ugly. It was personal. So they almost, people got defensive and angry just by glancing at me. And you're like, actually, I have a stronger relationship with God than probably most of you in this room, okay? <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, and so for the first time in my life, first time ever at age 21, I all of a sudden felt uncomfortable with myself. And that was so foreign to me, I didn't know what to do about that. There was a few months where I just, I didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. How did you hold on to your faith despite all this uncertainty and you had no support system or friend network? How did you hold on to your faith during that? That's so hard. Investing in that real relationship with God and investing in you. And also having like that contrast, I really just held on to these promises I read about in pamphlets and scripture, hoping that God is as good as he says he is. But how am I going to know that if I don't let God be God? How am I ever going to see where he can bring me if I don't allow myself to give him the opportunity to bring me to those places? So it was really just, I felt him before. I know that because I went 21 years not feeling those things. I held on to that. I held on to those promises and I allowed myself to give him time to show me something better. And it was risky. I was risking everything. But if it's true that God is real and he is mine, then I just kept trying to tell myself, then everything will be magnified at some point. I'm too stubborn to quit now because I want to see what that is. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a light at the end of this tunnel. There's got to be. Everything in the scriptures tells me that there is. And maybe I can't see my start and end like we can see in the people in the scriptures. But I know that no one's journey was easy. Yeah, and that's really tough too because you're really being judged for who you used to be and not who you are becoming. 
you've taken this leap of faith, you've gone across the country, you have this great relationship with God, and you're kind of in a spiritual high in a way. And then you go to Utah and in your book, I have to quote this because it's just so shocking to me. But this the man at Cafe Rio in Utah when you were there, I was reading that and like, are you kidding me? And you said, I was standing there holding a church book with both my arms on my chest, kind of hugging it, which is so cute. The guy next to me tapped me on the shoulder in a smug tone said, pretty ironic, you holding that book and looking the way that you do. Did that just pierce your heart? I mean, that wasn't even the worst thing I heard, but that was the very first thing I heard. It was the very first thing anyone said to me when I was there. And it really just was setting the tone for how things would be for years because and they were all coming from members of the church. And they were saying, I mean, oh my gosh, how many emails and messages, even today that I get someone who claimed to be a high calling or whatever, who cares? And they're like, look at you. God could never love someone like you. How many emails I've gotten saying, can you just end your life already? Like, and it's, and so this is where, The two tools that I have used against everything that has come at me in life is one, build up that personal relationship with God. Have and and you do that to me, you do that by having those open and honest and real conversations with them. You do that by seeing your seasons through to see what he can do with you, giving him that chance. But the second thing that has really been the biggest tool to fight against everything is learning to love yourself. And that's exactly what I did because for the first few months of me living in Utah and I didn't know how I was going to react and I was so painfully hurt by the ignorance of other people that it damaged me more than I wanted it to ever. Because ultimately what it did was it kept me in my house. It kept me from doing things that I loved and it kept me from doing things that I knew God wanted me to do. And I was not happy. And I had this light bulb moment where it's like, wait, no, this isn't the life I want to live. I don't like this. I decided, yes, we're allowed to feel upset and angry and confused, but it's up to us and not everyone else to choose whether or not we want to live there. And I decided with a greater perspective that I refused to let Karen be the reason why I retreat and choose for myself to not live this beautiful and vibrant life. And so I decided to spend time with myself Spend time with my God because when I become sure in me and sure in him, everything else becomes noise, really. So how did you find your people? My people came to me. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a question I asked myself over and over again. How do you teach people that you they're not listening? How do you get people that you won't may never even get to talk to ever? You might Mm -hmm. not get that opportunity. And that's with obviously people in Utah, but even my family across the country, how can I show them? And that was really by example. I really, truly decided I'm just going to do me. I'm not here for anyone else. And I know that's kind of backwards thinking because everyone's like, oh, if you turn to others and serve others and yeah, but to me, it's like, no, I have to be true to me in this life. And I'm just going to do me and focus on me and God. And really, I mean, people came. And people stayed 
and it was almost like a magnet. It was almost freeing for people to see me do that. People just, I mean, the followers I have now, I didn't do any marketing. I didn't spend any money. It was people just are looking by example saying like, she's doing it. She's been there. She's there with me. And life can still be beautiful. And that's a really good point because you have totally embraced your tattoos. You're transparent. You're open. You use your platform to be positive, to be inclusive, to encourage people not to be judgmental. I mean, your platform's really positive. Anyone who follows you on social media can see that you're a loving, incredible mother. You're in a thriving, happy relationship, that your focus is always on your faith actually helps people see the tattoos and all of that. And then they look beyond it because you start, there's so much consistency in your message. And it's such a positive message that people can look past that. And you teach people, they can look past what they see. Yeah. And it's been so wild that I think every person that has ever had an actual conversation with me, they say, we don't even know they're, they completely disappear. And it's just like, I don't ever, I don't ever think about them. I don't need to, like, who cares? <laughs> and so what I realized, I really had to learn, but I've held on to it, which is good that I learned this, is it's just so immobilizing and unhealthy for us to just hope and wish and pray and wait for other people to change, to know better. And I've spent too much wasteful time just saying, ugh. Why are they like this? If they only knew this, if they only could st- understand that a little better. And where did it get me? It got me mad and unhappy and no progress was made ever, especially with myself. And so I just realized I can't, I can't sit around and wait and expect for other people to change and to know better. And so we have to ask ourselves this question in any situation, what is in my control? What can I do? Yeah. I mean, that's the key. You are never going to change people. We are never going to change people, period. We can only change how we approach the situation, our own mindset. That's, I think people waste so much energy and have so much anxiety trying to wait for other people to change. And it's never going to happen. Not happening. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that you wrapped your brain around that at a young age. I wish I'd done that younger. Well, here's me. Now, I'm by nature an optimist, but that doesn't mean that hard times are not there. It's just for me, I just believe that there's always a different way to look at something. What is it? I know that there's not ever one way of thinking. So if I feel stuck, I haven't figured it out yet. And really, if I ever feel stuck, I really believe that it's God showing me a new adjective of him that I hadn't learned yet. And so if I can't hear or feel or see God I have learned to stay with it and stick with it and stick with him because I learned so much more about him. And so if I ever catch my mindset going negative or stuck or stagnant or standing still, I know that I need to problem solve. So instead of being destructive, I become productive. So even if it's destructive mindset, you don't even have to be doing anything, but even just your mindset. Am I being productive? Am I moving forward in any way? Because to me, I feel like the adversary can get to me. He can't get to me with a lot of things. He can't get to me with doctrine. He can't get to me with X, Y, and Z. But he's so subtle and so good at keeping me still. 
So I always catch myself, am I moving? What could my next step look like? Am I seeing a different way to look at all of this? Well, the constant focus on progression is key. I mean, Satan works on idle people. I mean, he does. When we're idle, we're spiritually idle. He really digs in deep. So how do you avoid being spiritually idle? You talk a little bit about that in your book, and you say spiritual idleness is spiritual suicide. (laughs) Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like it's that proactive thinking. It's like, wait, what am I I doing? Where's my mind? Where's my soul? Do I know what God wants from me right now? What I feel like works best for me is paying attention to my reoccurring thoughts and kind of to tie it in from the first thing we even talked about. I believe that my reoccurring thoughts is my soul guiding me to better things. I take a chance on my reoccurring thoughts. I embrace the unexpected knowing who is guiding me. And I absolutely every single day do a self inventory and a self check on to see where I'm at. Where'd I miss the mark? How can I do a better job? One of my favorite things is every passing second is a chance to turn it all around. Am I taking it? Yeah. And I also think that's a really good point because a lot of these kids that get into things they shouldn't, or they do get tattoos and things that are very visible from their past, and it's hard to hide those or cover it up, and they don't know how to move on. They feel stuck by it or trapped by it. And I like that you're one of the greatest things about your faith is incredible. Your testimony is incredible, but your transparency and your willingness not to hide is really helping people, right? Because there are a lot of people like that. I mean, I live in San Clemente, California in a surf culture and everyone has tattoos here. I mean, I came from Boston where no one had tattoos. I'd never even seen someone with a tattoo. So it's a very different culture here. But some of these kids can get pulled into that. But it's not the end of the story because you did something like that. You can move on and use it for good. Like, I love your confidence and how God sees you. It's so inspiring. And it's such a good reminder for all of us that we're children of God and we're worthy of his love and direction, no matter what. I mean, that's what the atonement's all about. Our only qualifying factor to receive help and love and change and direction and forgiveness, all of that, our only qualifying factor to all of that is something we all have and we cannot get rid of ever. We are worthy and we are worth it simply because we are his. That alone makes you enough for all of this. And that is something you just, no matter what you do, no matter what you look like, you can't get rid of it. You are enough because you are his. That is everything. That should be your driving force for everything. Having the most powerful, all-knowing, perfect being to ever exist on your side isn't empowering like what will be. (laughs) (laughs) True. That's true. And I love how you said in your book how God does not see me as the tattooed Mormon. He didn't see you that way. He sees you as this pure, beautiful, divine child. And I always refer back to me as a parent, right? Like no matter what my kids do, I'm never going to not defend them or be there for them or help them or support them ever. I just want to help them. And I just feel like that's how Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother feel about us. They want to be there. They want to help us. They want to pull us out of the dark times. They're going to be there. The profound, in-depth 
truth behind God's forgiveness is not even something I think we can fully wrap our brains around. It's not something that God chooses to look past or just not bring it up again. (laughs) It's gone. It disappears any time. And how many times scriptures can we think of that say, as oft as you repent, I will forgive. It's forgiven. It's gone. But like, Are we forgiving ourselves or are we allowing the adversary skew things and keep us from doing what God wants us to do? You're so right on that. I mean, I think one of the adversary's greatest triumphs is when we give up on ourselves or we feel like we're not worthy of love or we feel like God can't possibly love us or God can't possibly care about us because of the things that we've done. And that's just not true. That is a hundred percent the adversary's snare and we're in it. But the thing is, is we are so much more powerful than that. We have the power to cast him out, a power he literally has to obey. So then it goes back into the, are we doing something? Are we taking advantage of our resources and just getting rid of the unnecessary crap? I mean, all good things come from God, but that also means feelings. So If it's not a good feeling or a thought, that's not how God communicates to you. Even if he wants you to change or be better, he will not do it with those negative thoughts of you're not good enough. You're doing it all wrong. All of those things, that is not how he communicates. It is impossible for a God who is good to communicate in that way. So it's a very easy way to pinpoint the adversary. And once we do that, we can get rid of him make it a little bit easier to progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that negative thought cycle or negative pattern isn't something that comes from God or the Holy Spirit. That's a good distinction. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed our interview. We can wrap it up. And I just want to ask you, is there anything else you'd like to share for the kids who are listening right now and the adults who are listening? We are meant for something so much more, so much better than the here and the now. Just you're only here once and I hope you just see your seasons through. Allow God to be God to take you somewhere better because life, even during the times you feel like you don't belong or you feel like you can't anymore, can be beautiful, intimate one-on-one moments with the creator of the universe. And life, life, it is beautiful, it is blossoming, and it is vibrant, and it's here just just for you. Thank you so much, Al. I really appreciate your words. It's inspiring. Your journey is inspiring, and I'm so grateful you stayed the course and look at the impact you have had because of it. Incredible. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. Please help us create positive change by sharing this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. We invite you to leave a positive rating and review. For the review to process, you just need to download the episode and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Scroll down the episodes until you see ratings and reviews and share your positive feedback. Positive ratings and written reviews really help our podcast to grow. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production.